0: Amen. This is cruel and unusual punishment today. They had me preach a couple times, which I love to preach. And then he feeds me a meal, and it's, it's my favorite. I love eggs, biscuits, and gravy, and then you throw hash browns in with it too. Oh, yeah. Now, you know what I want to do? I want to lay down. I want to go to sleep. He said, oh, by the way, Brother Hart, why don't you get up and preach again? Uh, yeah, okay, love you too, brother. <laughs> Amen. Open your Bibles up to Psalms 80. So if, when I'm walking around, if I doze off, just nudge me, I'll come back. And I have a friend of mine, he says, you know, he says, people sleep when I preach, it doesn't bother me, they trust me. He says, it's the ones that stay awake that I worry about. <laughs> Psalms 80, starting in verse number 1. It says, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, thou that leadest Joseph like a flock, thou that dwellest between the cherubims. Shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Stir up thy strength and come and save us. Turn us again, O God, and cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long will thou be angry against the prayer of thy people? Thou feedest them with the bread of tears, and givest them tears to drink in great measure. Thou makest us a strife unto our neighbors, and our enemies laugh among themselves. Turn us again, O God of hosts, and cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. Look at verse number 19, if you will, the end of the psalm. It says, turn us again, O Lord God of hosts, cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your blessings. Thank you for what you've given. Thank you for these people, their faithfulness, and thank you for those who prepared the food and what a wonderful meal that we've had. Now, Lord God, I pray you help us. Help us, Lord God. Help us to get the message that you have for us. Lord, it's our, our physical bodies may not want to stop and hear, but Lord God, you have something for us this, this afternoon. I pray, Heavenly Father, you just caused us to be able to get it. Thank you for the blessings now. And I ask you, Lord, again, to fill me with your spirit and use me this afternoon, that all things will be done to honor and glorify you. For we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All the words in the Bible are important. There's not a single word. That's why we hold to the King James Bible. It's what's referred to as a word-for-word translation. In other words, what that means is they translate it according to each word that's said. It's not translated according to thoughts. Many of the modern translations are we are translating the thoughts of God. Well, my Bible tells me that my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. So excuse me, how are, you tra- how are you putting in the thoughts of God if God says we don't know his thoughts? Duh, I have a real hard time with all of that. It doesn't make any sense to me. But all the words are important. You say, why is that? Look underneath where it says Psalms 80. It says to the chief musician upon Shusham Yudith. You see that word Shusham Yudith? It's actually two words put together. It's, uh, the, the first word is shushanum, and it means uh, that which is, uh, uh, how would I say that? That which is beautiful, that which is uh, uh, of, of a pleasant fragrance. Uh, uh, it, it has a beautiful smell, a beautiful sound to it. Uh, uh, shushan is also the word It's translated in Psalms 2, uh, verse numbers 1 and 2, where it talks about he is the lily of the valley, that word lily there. Is the word shusham? It means something very beautiful, and that's where it comes from. The word Judith means testimony, so this is a testimony of something beautiful, something important. Now, the book of Psalms is the song book of the Bible. God likes singing. So, how do you know that? There's singing going on all the time in heaven. Amen. That's what it tells us, that the cherubim are singing all the time. God likes singing. He has the book of Psalms. And some songs, and you know this to be a fact, some songs are congregational songs. It's for the whole congregation to sing. Some songs are solos songs. And in the book of Psalms itself, some songs are solo songs. Some are congregational songs. This particular psalm is a congregational song. It's for the whole congregation to sing. It is the beginning of a series of songs that are really attached together. From Psalms 80 to Psalms 85, these songs are about revival. That's what they're about. They're about the the need of revival, and it's a going back and forth. Uh, there's the, in this particular place, we have a cry for revival and we have the response of God and then the, the, the comment back by the people. It all culminates in Psalms 85. Turn to Psalms 85, if you will. And in Psalms 85, it, it ends with the Psalms 85 and, of course, the most famous verse out of Psalms 85 is verse number six. Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? So it deals with the issue of revival. All of these Psalms go back and forth until you come to a head with Psalms 85. The desire here is for the issue of revival. That is what is wanted. Uh, Folks, that's what we should want. Amen. It really is. Revival is often declared today, but seldom had. It seems that the farther along we go, the less and less we have a revival. Now, I'm not talking about phony revivals. I'm not talking, there was one that went by called the Laughing Revival. That was, a, that was stupid and foolish. And uh, there's been others that have declared some things a revival. Real revival changes things. They have an effect upon a church and then eventually upon a community. It's the kind of thing that closes bars, dance halls, And changes the lives of people. You don't see that. Let's be honest about it. We're not having it take place. And it seems that we're getting farther and farther away from that. Um, Back uh, many years ago, I had the opportunity. uh, uh, let, Let me back up a little bit and explain it to you here. Preachers get flyers all the time. You're invited to this thing, that thing. We get a lot of junk mail. OK, and in our junk mail, they'll say, if you'll buy this, this will increase your attendance by one third. No, it won't. OK, it'll just increase your debt by one third. And uh, so they, they sent it and I, and I get a flyer and I was in Dubuque, Iowa. Dubuque, Iowa is a city of 62,000, as I told you. It's 90 percent Roman Catholic. There was three Baptist churches and we were the biggest of the three. We got up to about 120. Uh, was the, our biggest time on a regular attendance. We got up to high days of 160, 170, right in that area. So uh, we had this. Now, we had a, a lot of Bible churches and a, a group called Hope Evangelical Free Good-for-Nothing Churches, okay? And they called themselves a church. They, weren't, they didn't say good-for-nothing on them, I'm really really be honest, but that's what I added. And uh, so there was one over in a place called Galena, Illinois, which was about 15 miles from us. And uh, I got a flyer from them about some fella that was coming in. And it, it, it talked about him having 900 books on revival. I didn't know there were that many books on revival. I had no idea. And he had 900 books on revival. Well, that drew my attention. They were having a Saturday morning session with pastors. That he would, he would have a Q&A with pastors and would speak to pastors on side, Saturday morning starting at 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock, one of the two times. And I thought, huh, I'm interested. I want to hear what this guy has to say. So I went. Okay, now, um, my reputation goes in the door before I go in the door, generally speaking. And I, I was well-known and quite outspoken with inside the community of Dubuque. What are they going to do to me? I'm the only Baptist there that makes a difference. And so what are you going to do? You know, hey, pfft. I knew who was on my side, me. Nobody else. I didn't care. And uh, so I go in, and I, I, have a, I have an attitude. My attitude is to be early. If you're not early, you're late. Yeah. I didn't get many amens on that one at all, I'm telling you. Yeah. You know, if you're supposed to be there at 9 o'clock, you should be there at 10 to 9. My wife's attitude is if I'm there by 5 after 9, we're okay. And... Uh, <laughs> Her nickname is always "Late Lynn, and uh, can I tell you what we fight about? <laughs> okay, oh, oh, it drives me absolutely crazy. And uh, but and my wife has never been. My, my wife has no concept of time, uh, not at all. I'll be there in five minutes. Half an hour later, she has. Hey, where are you at? I told you five minutes. A uh, half an hour ago, and uh, she just has no concept of time. That's her. Her uh, and her family told me she was that way when she was a kid. It, we bought her several watches. It don't work. Don't work. Mm-mm. She's just, it's just not going to happen. And, uh, but anyway, I, I was there 10 minutes early. So I went in, and they had, a, they had it set up. They had a, a podium here, and then they had the table set up in a half-moon situation. So I went and I sat over here. Well, the Bible church fellows started coming in, the pastors of the Bible church. They come over, they saw me, and they all went and sat over there. <laughs> so I'm over here. And now this United Pentecostal woman preacher as uh, a black lady came in and saw that the seat next to me was open. So she sat down next to me. She obviously did not know who I was. And, uh, you know, some people are. Well, anyway, she sat down there. So this guy gets up and he he looks like he's one hundred and forty nine years old. He looks like he died and forgot to lay down. And uh, so he gets up to speak. OK. Now, he takes actually started with this text here, which is what opened my eyes to this particular text. Started with this text here, and he begins to talk. Now, he starts out saying this. He says, now, gentlemen, I know you're all pastors. If you have any questions, just raise your hand and I'll call on you. This. I'm not just going to lecture to you. We'll have, of course, questions and answers. Okay. He gave me permission to ask questions. I want that very, very clear at the very beginning. So. He starts with his spiel. Now he's Universal Church. He's a Calvinist. He's NIV. Okay, okay, that's three strikes, baby. You're out. And uh, so he starts with his spiel, and he would start something, and he would say something, and I'd raise my hand, and he'd say, "Yes, sir. Who are you?" I said, "I'm Bob Harbin. I'm the pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Dubuque, Iowa." Yes, sir. He doesn't know anything about me, and so I ask a question. Okay. He didn't care for the question. And he answers the question, he goes on a little farther, and he makes another one of his goofy statements. I raise my hand. Yes, sir. You said this, but the scriptures say this. Okay? Now we got now we got an ongoing problem here. Okay. This goes on for two hours. He'd say something, I'd raise my hand. After a while, he would look over and say, Yes, Mr. Harbin. I know what that means, but I am undaunted in my behavior. Amen. I don't care. I'm I'm on charge. Amen. So we're going on with this. Now, I will give the old man credit. Okay. I will give him credit. He spoke for two hours straight. We took a 10-minute break and then spoke for two hours again. That's pretty good for an old man. A guy 149 years old, that's really pretty good. And uh, so so we've got this ongoing thing. Now, we take the break after two hours. I come back and sit down on my spot. The Pentecostal lady has now moved over to the other side. And uh, so I'm I'm over there all by myself. And you know what? When when you're the only one on your side, you don't have to worry about who's on your side. Amen? And you don't have to worry about anybody stabbing you in the back because you're the only one over there. And uh, so this went on for a couple of hours more. And again, he would say something that was unscriptural he'd say something i'd raise my hand he told me i could ask questions and he told me i could raise my all i'd do is raise my i'd raise my hand and by this time he is really really aggravated okay and he is mad we get down close to the end of it and and he's closing in he's now going to john chapter 3 and he's talking in John chapter 3 about how that's Calvinism and how that's predestinated to be saved, which I don't know how in the world you get that out of John chapter number 3. And so I'm back to asking questions, okay? So now he is really angry, and now it's become between me and him. He's not even looking at the other guys. He has turned his podium, and he's looking straight at me, okay? and Which doesn't bother me at all. I don't care. Uh, like I said, I've, I've debated all kinds of... When you're alone, who cares? I mean, you just stand up and fight, uh, or, or you run, and I'm... I'm you know, fight or flight. I'm fighting. I don't. I don't fight. And uh, so anyway, we get down to the end of the thing, and he makes uh, his closing statement. And I raise my hand again. <sighs> he looks up and me. He says, "Yes, Mr. Robert. I said, uh, "According to this paper that y'all sent out, you have 900 books on revival. Is that right?" And he said, "Yes." I said, "Have you ever been in one? A real revival?" And it got so quiet in that room, you could hear a pin drop. And it felt like hours, but it was probably only a minute. And he looked at me and he said, no, I have not. I said, and you're going to tell us about revival? And all you've ever done is read it? So he, he's going to get me now, you know, he's going to get me. And he looks at me and he says, have you ever been in one? I said, yes, sir, I have. I've been in one when a church went from 100 people to 350 people in a space of a year and a half, two years. I've been in one. I've watched it. I was part of it. I was not the pastor. I was a church member. I came into it. I saw it happen. I saw it affect the city. I saw it affect, I said, ended up with 15 men surrendering to preach. Several hundred people getting saved. And all 15 of those men ultimately ended up full-time in the ministry. I was one of those 15. He prayed and dismissed. Nobody talked to me afterwards. I expected that. But I went home and I looked at Psalms 80. And he was writing this. It is a psalm of revival. It is realistically a cry for revival. I want you to see. You know, Asaph, Asaph, though he's the song leader for for the temple, Asaph understood God. He got him. He really did. He understood the principles of God. He understood the word of God. And he, he, he writes things down with a clear understanding and a clear grasp of what he is dealing with. And he begins this back and, back, back and forth things with God about the issue of revival with, first of all, a cry for revival. The first thing I want you to see about this cry is that there's a pleading. Now, let me tell you something about revival. There is no one, two, three steps in the plan to get a revival. It doesn't exist. There's no way you can say, well, if you do this and you do this and you do this. Back in the 70s, everything was a step program. Four steps to salvation, three steps to being filled with the Holy Ghost, ten steps to making a great, uh, uh, having a great church. Everything was, you, the book's are out there, here's, here's the steps to do this. Everything was about you do these steps and it's going to turn out that way. Well, that, that's, not, uh, that's not always true. That, and basically, I found it to be most of the time not true. But there are no steps for revival. You can't, you can't say to God, well, you know what, if, if I do this, do this, do this, God has to bring revival. Revival is in control of God. He has complete and absolute control of revival. It is an absolute necessity. People say, well, you know what, America needs revival. America cannot have revival. say, what? You see, revival means life again. America needs revival. It needs real life. America needs people to be saved. The one thing that man pointed out, he said in the Old Testament, there was the corporate entity of the nation of Israel. They could have revival. We do not have a corporate entity in the New Testament. I'm thinking, what book does he read? We have a corporate entity in the New Testament. It's called the church and it's called his church. It belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's the head. If revival is going to take place, it starts here. You're going to have revival? You start it. This is the place. God is the creator of the New Testament church. He's the first pastor of the New Testament church. He organized it. He set it down and he gave it its, 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 its marching orders. And he's the head of the New Testament church. There's no universal, invisible thing. Folks, you are what God started. This is what he wants. And he will revive this work. Because it's his. There's a pleading. But I want you to go back to our text. I want you to see some things. I want you to know his approach as he goes through. There's no catchphrases. There's no issues. But I want you to see his approach and what he does. Look at the words that he used. Boy, words in the Bible are so important. Study words. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded from the mouth of God. Study words. They're important. Look at what he says. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel. Do you know that God has referred to by many different names? You know that. Amen? You, you know that. It's one God, but he's called by many different names. Why? It's done that way so you can understand the character of God. It reveals things about God. He uses the phrase shepherd. O shepherd of Israel. His approach to God is as his shepherd. That's important. You see, a shepherd is somebody who protects. A shepherd is somebody who provides. He is seeking God on the issue of compassion and mercy. We don't demand of God. I've listened to people pray, God, I demand that you do this. What? What? You're going to demand God? You think God's in a box that you can pull him out and tell him what to do? God's not in a box. I, when I, I had junior church and one of the junior church, this is back in the 70s. And one of the junior church people had to sing a song. I put a stop to it. We never sang it again. So if you sing it, you shouldn't. OK, You say, well, I'm offended by this. You'll live. There's a verse in the Bible for you, Psalms 119, 165. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. So if you got offended, then you don't have any peace. Just thought I'd bring that up. Anyway, the song, the song went, I wish I had a little, little red box to put my Jesus in. I take him out and put him back again. I said, whoa, we're not going to sing that song. And he said, why not? I said, because Jesus do not go in a box. It's not somebody that well, I carry him around when I need him. I open up the box and get him out. No, 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 no. He's God. Amen. that, that doesn't work that way. No, 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 no. See, if we're going to approach God for a revival, we got to approach him on the issue of mercy and grace. God, well, yes, this is what we are. We know that, God, we need you to do something. Our country is going to hell in a handbasket. This is awful. This is an absolute disaster. We have in this country. I cannot believe how far this country has gone from my birth on it, in the 50 in 50 or 60 years. It is just incredible what we accepted. I, 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 I can't believe if, if, if you. Do you know in public schools, several of the public schools, my uh, my uh, children live in a place called uh, Bentendorf and Davenport. In one of the public schools, they have to have a kitty litter box in the girl's bathroom because some girl has declared herself to be a cat. Are you kidding me? So they got to put a kitty litter box in the bathroom? I was at a church two weeks ago preaching and the the man came up to me and says, well, you need to understand preacher. He says, my wife is pansexual. Okay. Well, that's a new one. i had never heard of that one before. You know, I've, I've heard of all sorts of things. What does it mean to be pansexual? And one of the other members says, in other words, she'll do anything. Okay. Do you mean what I think you mean? She said, yes. And I looked at him, I thought, and you're married to her? Okay, well, I'm just going to leave that alone. I'm the visiting evangelist. I'm leaving anyway, so I don't care what's going on. Mm, this is awful. Pansexual? Who's ever heard of that? Kitty litter boxes? Because some kid has declared to himself, you can't, aff- you can't say three-quarters of the things because you'll offend everybody. This is where we're at. This is the mess where we're having stuff shoved down our throats. And they're seeking to indoctrinate our children into this philosophy that they have going on. This uh, this, This is not God's country anymore. It's not. This is paganism. This is vile. We're losing our country and our freedom. Listen to me. I want you to understand something. This country has been the greatest country for God in its existence. We have sent out more missionaries over the existence of this country to preach the gospel than all countries combined from the time of Christ. This country. But now that's coming to an end too. We're losing our missionaries. We're being kicked out of countries. Our churches are... Having less and less support money. Many of our churches are getting older. One of the great things about this church here is we got a lot of young people. Praise the Lord! Young marrieds, babies, they cry a lot. They cause problems. Nurseries packed. Amen. Oh, what? that's wonderful. That's good. That's a good thing. And it's unless they're your kids, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Listen to me. We are losing our country. My grandchildren are growing up in a country that I do not recognize. We need a revival. And we need it soon. If the Lord has not come back in the next 30 years, I can only imagine what will be here. This is serious. We need to plead with God. We need to plead with him to do something. Listen, and I'm gonna make a statement here, and you're probably not gonna like it, but it's life. Politics and political things isn't gonna change America. We hear these supposed conservatives get up and tell us the conservative views so they can, we can vote for them, and then when they get into office, they fall right in line with all the liberalism. And we say, wait a minute, wait a minute, where's your integrity? We voted for you on this stand and you're not even following it? This is what's happening to us. Let's face the truth of this. And if you're young and you've got young kids, your children are gonna grow up in this society. We need God to do something because our efforts are failing miserably. Whether you like it or not, it is true. It ought to grip your heart. And you ought to plead with God. God, you got to do something. Oh, shepherd of Israel. Oh, shepherd of Israel. He pleaded with him. Shepherd is a protector. He also said, Who leadeth Joseph? Joseph went through into the land of Egypt through trials and tribulations. He also makes a statement, which is rather interesting. Before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. And I thought, Well, what in the world? Why those three? Why those three tribes? I, I didn't get it. I, so I went and studied it. I went and studied their names. I went and studied it. I read my commentaries. I buy these commentaries all the time, buy all these commentaries, and then I read what they say, and I find out they don't know any more than I do, and I don't know why I spend all the money on them. And, uh, but I read the commentaries, nah, that's, that's, that doesn't sound any good, that's, and I couldn't figure it out. Why these, why this three tribes? Why include them? Now, two of them are sons of Joseph. I thought, well, maybe that's it. That didn't fly. It didn't go anywhere, okay, because the other one didn't work, okay? So I didn't know what to do with it. And so one day I was in, a, um, I was at Worthington Minnesota, and brother Jim Sickmeyer. And I went and, and they had a big picture of the tabernacle and the children of Israel in the wilderness, okay? And they had three tribes in the front, and then they had three tribes on each side and three tribes in the back. The three tribes in the back were Ephraim, and Benjamin. As they traveled, all they could see was the ark. He said, we we need to get our eyes on you. What do you got your eyes on? What are you looking at? What are the things in your life? What are the things that you're paying attention to? What are you getting wrapped up in? People today are spending hours and hours on a video game or spending hours on the internet. And in many cases, looking at stuff you ought not to be looking at. This is becoming a serious, serious problem amongst God's people. I know people who spend all night long playing some video game with people across the world. You ought not to be wasting your time that way. The Bible says to redeem the time for the days are evil. Well, you're in an evil day. And you need to chuck that stuff. We had a lady in our church, she was on Facebook. And my wife says, you need to read this. I don't have a Facebook account. not interested. Don't have one. Don't care. Uh, Now, I know. Don't get upset. I ain't going to preach against Facebook. You ought to know better than that anyway. But I won't preach against it. I'm just telling you what I think. And my wife says, you need to read this. And this lady in our church, I'm washing the dishes now. I'm feeding the dogs. You know what? I don't care. I don't care if she's washing her dishes. I don't care if she's feeding the dogs. That's not... It's really not that important. People live their lives on this social media stuff. For heaven's sakes, turn that stuff off. You're going to, you're going to, it's going to create problems in your life. It's going to direct you away from what you ought not to be. It, it, it's a fantastic, the Internet is a fantastic tool. Uh, social media can be a fantastic tool. But the problem is, is that we're using it the wrong way. We're allowing ourselves to be caught up in things we ought not to be caught up with. And you should never let your children be on the Internet alone in their own rooms. Okay, now that's a Bob Harbin opinion. And I may be trifling, but you ought to learn. They'll eventually go into things they ought not to go into because it simply does happen that way. I've gone to Medellin, I know, but that's all right. I do that every now and then. There's a pleading. Then there's a presence sought. Shine on us. You know what you need in this church? You need the presence of God. You know what we've done in our churches? We've got programs to take the place of God. So we've done. We have programs. Whatever program it is. We've got a program in to take the place of God. Do you know what makes us different than the world? Not our doctrine. What makes us different in the world is our God. You, you, You cannot compete with a five flags or six flags or amusement parks or Orlando or Disney World. You can't compete with what they have. But when God's in a church service, They can't compete with us. If you're in a church service that God's been in, you can look at it and say, man, I'm going to tell you what. You would not believe what we had. We had God move and God worked in our services and worked in our hearts. What we need. Listen, folks, what we need. Yeah, we could use better preaching. Yeah, amen. I could be a better preacher. He could be a better preacher. Some of you guys who are called could be better preachers. Amen. But I'm going to tell you what. The simplest message with God in it is the most profound message you're ever going to hear just need God in our church. But not just in it, but running it. And what we've done is we've gotten so much wrapped up in our time schedules and all of that stuff that we have using methodology and we've moved God out of church. We can perform this. We can have church without God. Did you know that? We can do all the things without God. This is why this nonsense of the churches that are coming, of the so-called churches, I use that phrase, so-called, that are coming up nowadays with the, the Joel Osteen type of churches and that kind of stuff, all across the country, they can raise three or 4,000 people. And did you ever notice, did you ever notice that if you've watched any of them, and I've watched a couple of them on the Internet, watch see seen the things, the, the guy will be up here and he'll have the lights on the stage and he'll be in blue jeans and a pullover shirt. You know, let's not get too dressed up for heaven's sakes. You know, that kind of stuff. And he'll be preaching and the lights are in the auditorium are down low. Everybody's got their coffees and their popcorns or whatever. I don't know. And uh, they got the lights down low so you can't read your Bible to prove that the guy what he's talking about is wrong. Amen. And so it gets up there and he gives some social gospel about how you can be a better person. I went into Mardell's bookstore. It's a big chain uh, throughout the south of Christian books and uh i went to mardell's bookstore my wife was looking at some of the christian music she's over there looking at the music i got nothing to do you know i'm just kind of bored i don't like shopping anyway and my idea of going to walmart is go in get what you got get out let's not you know i don't need to look at anything that's not the way my wife thinks and it's not the way you women think we gotta go over there. Oh, gotta look at the new line of clothes gotta look at the clearance rack my wife told me originally she said when you go into walmart it's required by law that you look at the clearance rack I knew she was pulling my leg, though. I knew there was something wrong with what she was saying there. And uh, but, you know, and so I'm in Mardell's and I'm thinking to myself, what in the world am I going to do here? So I went over to the books in the books books department. I'm looking at the books and there's shelves and shelves and shelves of self-help books. How to be a better husband, how to be a better wife, how to be a better teenager, how to be a better dog, you know, all of those kind of things. I mean, you know, here, here Fido, read this and you need this. You're a terrible dog. Would you straighten up and act right? You're going to be a Christian dog. You're going to have to act right. Now, read the book, Fido. And uh, well, you know, really, I know that's facetious. And, and, and so I, I said, I got a question for you, young man, come here. So he comes over and he says, Yes, sir, what can I do for you? I said, You got a book on God? He said, What? So you got a book on God or you got a book on Christ. Either one. I'll take them. Uh, I don't think we have one of those. Christian bookstore. Uh, if we have one, it would be back on these back shelves. So he took me to the back shelves, and we're hunting through the back shelves trying to find a book on God and a book on Christ. It's a Christian bookstore. Isn't it supposed to be about Christ? My kids, I, I was preaching, and I made mention of that when I was preaching, so my kids thought they'd be funny, and they bought me Joel Osteen's book, Be a Better You. <laughs> they bought it for me for Christmas. It's a tremendous book. It works very, very well. I have a desk corner that's lower than the other, and it, it fit right under there and leveled out my desk just perfectly. <laughs> the book is a, it, it's a godsend. It works just perfectly to keep my desk level. Amen. So I have kept the book and it's right there. And, uh, and I guess I'm just not a better me. That's all I can say. I, you know. This is all self-esteem. This is all pride. This is, this, is, this is all the junk of the name it and claim it and the grab it and blab it crowd. It always has been. You know what? It's not supposed to be about me. It's supposed to be about him. Amen. And you know what? The closer I get to him, the less I think of me. You don't think so? You look at what Isaiah said. Woe is me for I'm undone. Amen. The closer you get to God, you don't look as well. Apparently, the farther away from God you get, the better you look. Amen. So apparently those books are taking you away from God. What we need in our church services, what we need in our lives is we need God to shine forth. Now, the third thing we need. We need is power. Do you notice what he says? Three times he says this. Stir up thy strength. Need the power of God. I need the power of God in my preaching. I need the power of God in my life. People ought to come into this church service and be convicted just coming in the doors. I was telling you about the revival we were in. We had a campground. The church had bought a campground. We uh, we pay. It was thirty acres, and we put a tent up on it for food, and we put a tent. Up. Baptists are always eating. We ain't eating. We ain't meeting. Amen. And uh, you proved that to be true. Uh, uh, and we had a tent for for the services and a tent for the food, and uh, and, and the little uh, little houses to go and use as the bathrooms. Amen. Wonderful places. And uh, we had. A fellow drove by and we were singing. A fellow drove by and he heard the singing. And he he turned around and came back and came in. And he got out of his car. And when he got out of his car, he made this statement. He got, got up and gave a testimony. He said, I got out of my car and stepped on the ground. I can't believe how convicted I was. He says, I'm not a Christian. My mother was. And she told me I needed to be saved. And he says, I cannot believe the conviction just standing on the ground. Oh, I don't know if I agree with that. Yeah, because you ain't never been around it. When you've been around it, it is true. God creates holy places. And this ought to be one of them. People ought to come in here and be, we we need God's strength. We need His power. We need God to do some things. We need God to make some miracles take place. We need God to, to help. I, listen, I'm tired of reading the stories in the past of how God did great things. I want to see them in my own life. I'm going to watch them take place in, with me. I want to see God do some great things. and I go, wow. The word we use, we toss around the word awesome. Truthfully, the only one that fits to is God. It, God is awesome. Amen. And he is powerful. And you know what? If you read Judges chapter number two, In Judges chapter number 2, it says Joshua died and the elders that outlived Joshua died. And it said that the people turned unto the, unto the gods of the nation. And it makes this statement, and they saw not the works of God. Why? Because they had turned to the things of the world, and they did not get a chance to, they did not see God's power and God's movement. They didn't see what God did in Egypt. They didn't see what God did in the wilderness. They didn't see what God had done with Joshua. All they saw, and even when God came to Gideon, God said, we've heard about it, but we haven't seen any of it. And that's where we're at now. We've heard about it. I've read the books. I've read what people have had to say. And I'm tired of reading what people have to say. I want to see God move that you cannot explain it. I want to be amazed by God. And he's quite capable of doing it. To watch him move. But there's a problem. You see it three times he said it. Turn us again. There needs to be repentance on the heart of God's people. We need to turn back to God. We need to give our lives to him. We need to say, God, we need your help. We need you to do something. Do something with me and in me. Turn us again. You see, Asa did not exclude himself he didn't say, turn them again. He said, turn us again. So, what are we going to be? What are we going to do? Are we going to let things just lope along like they are? and just get worse and worse. You say, well, preacher, the Bible says that man shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Yeah, I know that. It doesn't mean the church has to go down the toilet with them, does it? This is supposed to be a sanctuary of the things of God. There ought to be a difference here. They ought to see something different in us. People ought to be convicted. People ought to be be changed. People ought to want a difference. People ought to love to come to the house of God. They ought to want to come here and meet with God. Yeah, I know. You can meet with God at home, and I hear the stories. Well, I don't need church to meet with God. But there's nothing like meeting with God in the house of God. You need to remember, he's the one who created this thing. And you're disobedient when you forsake it. And you're disobedient to him. What kind of church are you going to be? What kind of difference are you going to make? All these little kids, what are they going to grow up and see? Are they going to say, you know, when I was little, our church, there was not a church like it. God moved. People got saved. And give the testimony, that's when I got saved. That's when God moved upon me. That's the difference it made in my life. and That's why I live the way I am. You know what? I lived in that revival from 1976 to 1980 in that church as God moved in that church. In that time, I got saved, I surrendered to preach, and I also made some choices and decisions, both doctrinally and personally, and some convictions that are in my life. Do you realize how long ago that was? 1980 to now, figure it out, that's 43 years. I still hold to those things. That's how much it affected me. It can do the same for you. He's still God. And if we're His people, and this is His church, unbeknownst to that old man, there is a corporate entity that can have revival. You need to plead with God. You need to seek God's face. You need to desire His power. And you need to turn from your wicked ways but that's up to you no one can make you i'm old i won't live much longer my life's coming to an end but i'd sure like to be part of it again just give me an again let god move to be in the middle of it i don't need to be the preacher i just want to be in it i can, just to be seated and watch God move in a mighty way, like the stories I've read about. But a difference that I can say, let me tell you about what I've seen. And when I get to heaven, when this is all over with, and I sit down with the Peters and the Pauls and the James and the Johns, and they tell me the stories about what went on there, and all the men who have lived throughout the time, the men and the women about the great things of God, I can say, let me tell you about what I saw God do. It's great to listen to their stories, but I want to have my own. I'll finish with this. There's an old preacher. His name was Percy Ray. He was Southern Baptist. He came to our church and preached a revival meeting. He's an old-fashioned Southern Baptist. You say, Southern Baptist, we don't? I know the Southern Baptists have gone crazy. You need to understand. He was local church, he was King James. He was also closed communion, and he was a missionary Baptist brighter only active members of a missionary Baptist church. You want to talk about a Baptist brother? This guy was extreme. Listen to me. He came and he preached a revival meeting at our church. And he told us stories of things he'd seen, things he'd been part of. At the dinner table with a bunch of us preacher boys, he told us that these things are going bad. And I looked at him and I heard him preach and I never heard anybody. Listen, I've heard the Jack Hiles and i would heard the... Uh, the Jack Van Impey's, and I heard the Lester Roloff's, and I heard all those guys, all those guys of that generation before me. Nobody could preach with as much power as that man. Never heard anybody like him. To this day, he preached at our church in 1977. I can remember every message he preached and the services as the altars would fill over and over and over again. People would weep and cry hearts would be changed, lives would be affected, folks would be saved. And I thought to myself, I want that. I want that. I wanna see that. I wanna be part of that again. I don't care who, I don't care where, but I wanna see it again. What do you want? I want God to move. Why can't it start with you? Why can't it start here? Why not? Are you not the Lord's church? Are you not that corporate entity? Is He not your God? He's still God. He hasn't changed. The problem's not Him. What do you want? You want to change a community, a life and maybe a nation. Every revival that I've ever read about has always started with a couple of people and spread. Why not you? Why not me? Heads bowed, eyes closed.